Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, pastor of Community and Discipleship at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined, as always, by my precocious wife, Betsy. Precocious. Betsy, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. Hey, everybody. Well, we're glad to have you with us today, and we want to invite you today into our clubhouse. We want to tell you to go in the closet and pull out those Mickey Mouse ears, because we've got a special episode for you in two parts, Disney Under the Spotlight. Bum, bum, bum. This is exciting, right, Bets? Yeah. Betsy, if I were to ask you, what is the annual revenue of the Walt Disney Studios, what would a guess be that you might make? Um... Definitely somewhere in the billions. Okay. Beyond that, I'm not sure. Well, let me enlighten you. Walt Disney Studios, headquartered in Burbank, California. In 2017, their revenue was $55 billion. Holy cow. With an operating income of almost $15 billion. Now, Disney makes money off of movies, cable television, publishing, music, video games, amusement parks, broadcasting, radio, and web portals, meaning all their different websites. It's incredible, the reach that yep, Disney has. Yep. So Disney is making money in so many different ways. Uh, we all know their theme parks. I got to go to Disney World when I was a kid. One time my parents take me, took me. Bets, you've never been there. Never. My parents were more the ones who said Disney is what everybody and else you're does. You're <laughs> still getting over that emotional wound, I, I think. Maybe, That's right. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But consider this. In 2013, Disney made nearly $15 billion off its 11 theme parks that it has worldwide, and with a $2.2 billion profit margin on that $15 billion. And in 2013, 132 million people visited a Disney theme park. Pretty amazing, right? Yeah, that's a lot of people. So we all know people who love Disney World, Disneyland, if you live on the West Coast. A couple other things here to set the stage. Disney's CEO is Bob Iger. He made $36 million in 2017. He is widely considered one of the best CEOs in the world. And final question for you, Betts. Do you know the highest grossing worldwide Disney film of all time? I would guess, well, I know Disney owns Pirates of the Caribbean, so Mm. I would probably ask. Mm. I would probably guess one of those. That's a strong guess. But the answer is actually Star Wars The Force Awakens. Remember, Disney bought Lucasfilms. So far, that has brought in $2.1 billion. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, see, Disney doesn't figure into my Star Wars paradigm, so I, I kind of That's need right. a shift That's there. That's right. They bought Lucasfilms. I think they paid $4 billion. It's kind of paying off. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to make it back real yeah, quick. Yeah, they're going to make that back. Disney is a financial powerhouse, and it is also a company that is a part of the fabric of our culture. And, if you know, you can't not know Disney. Mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, growing up with kids, you know, we all know Disney. So let's start out this way by talking about some of the things that we like about Disney. Let me lead us off here, Bets. Disney is a company who many of their movies, their products, they teach our kids good values. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, they're teaching your kids to to share, to be kind. I mean, sure. their, their theme parks are... You know, for the most part, they're wholesome. They're not mm-hmm. objectionable. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about this. Imagine a world where 
you went to Orlando because the the theme park that was drawing everybody was South Park World. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We might say our culture had degenerated into scary places at that point. Yes. You know what? There's There's a wholesomeness to Disney. It's it's fun for the whole family. You don't have to worry, parents, about so many of the things that Disney is putting out. So that's one of the first things I want to lead off with. What do we like about Disney? There's mm-hmm. a wholesomeness to it, mm-hmm. um, starting with Mickey Mouse all the way through that um, really is attractive to families. Mm-hmm. Bats, what would you say? I think you can really see Disney evolving as it were Mm. so going back to some of the first movies you know you've got some of the older ones sleeping beauty cinderella snow white all of those you're looking at um a slender white red-lipped damsel in distress right um the heroines all seem to fit a certain mold and now as disney has changed over the years and as the zeitgeist of our culture has changed the movies have changed a lot so starting with aladdin um in the 90s now we have a more diverse lineup of heroines which we appreciate um you know there was moana a couple years ago Mm -hmm. she was polynesian um and that's we we love that that love Moana. Disney oh, Moana's a great movie awesome but movie Disney is is now reflecting more um, the diversity of our world so we love that hmm. anything else yeah I, just generally Disney's just entertaining I mean the animated yeah. movies they're just great they're, they're just good movies they're part of our cultural lore you know who as a kid raised in America, who hasn't seen The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid? Well, that's reflecting our age because that was that was the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know, and that, and now Disney owns Pixar too, so you've got all those great movies like Toy Story and Inside Out and Wally, which I love. You love Wally. Um, so there's just great stories. They're fantastic movies. Yeah, these are iconic movies yes. that we all know. And if I could just add one more thing to what I love about Disney, you got to love the songs in these movies. Oh, man. I mean, to me, Pixar makes the best animated films in terms of telling a story, in my opinion, like Toy mm-hmm. Story or Wally. But nobody does the musical, the animated musical, better than Disney. I mean, think about Aladdin, you know, Riff Raff Street Rat. Do you buy that, Betsy? <laughs> we all you know You are going to sing it? A Whole New World. No, I've done that once. I mean, <laughs> we, we know these songs. These songs are so familiar to all of us. These are iconic soundtracks, uh, memorable music. I was a little disappointed in Coco. I didn't think the music was that memorable. I don't think we're going to be singing those songs in 20 years. Maybe I'm wrong. But so many of the Disney animated f- films do have iconic soundtracks. Uh, and Bets, I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite Disney uh, movies and some of your favorite songs? Yeah, that's really hard. Uh, movies, I love Inside Out. Love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I watch that, I'm just kind of sobbing, <laughs> honestly. I, and I do find, interestingly, that the parents like that one better than the children generally. I think it's kind of a um, it's a hard concept for a child to mm-hmm. grasp being inside someone's brain. But man, yeah, that's that a is be- an intergenerational film right yes, there. Yes, that yep. is a beautiful movie. I love Winnie the Pooh. He's oh he's so lovable. You know, he just gets into all these sticky situations. Man, I love that guy. He's got a great tummy. And his voice is so cute. <laughs> How can you not love his voice? Love Winnie. Yep. And um, as I've already referenced, I love Wally. Oh, yep. 
That's such a great movie. Love we that. actually talk to our kids about exercise. We tell them that they don't want to be the people in the hover chairs in the hover from chairs, Wally. Drinking slurpees. Yeah. Exactly. So we do talk to them about that. And um, as far as the, the soundtracks go, I'll tell you, um, recently, you know, um, we all know Disney came out with a live action Beauty and the Beast. And when that happened, I turned on the the original Beauty and the Beast soundtrack for our kids. And I was amazed. I hadn't listened to that in years, and I mm-hmm. could still sing every word. Every word. Amazing. So, yeah, they just, those songs, they're so catchy. They're so memorable. Yep. Um, I think my favorite songs, though, would be probably the whole Moana soundtrack. <sighs> love just Moana. played that yesterday. Yes, yes. Man, I love that one. Incredible. Dwayne The Rock Johnson can kind of sing. He kind of can. <laughs> it's impressive. Okay, for me, I would say my favorite soundtrack's got to be Aladdin. I love the genie. Robin Williams is a genie in Aladdin. I think that's such an iconic character. Yeah. Um, A couple other just honorable mentions here for me. Loved Inside Out. Love the movie Ratatouille. Yeah. One of my favorites. Uh, So, so many good Disney films out there. And just to be clear, as, as we move forward in this podcast here, we are not critiquing everything that Disney does. Rather, we want to specifically look at some of the popular themes that can be found in their movies. So, Bets, let's turn the rock over now. Okay, let's let's see what's underneath, where the worms are digging in the ground. <laughs> and let's take a closer look at Disney. Let's put Disney movies under the spotlight. All right, let me and let me do this by first asking you this question, Bets. If I were to tell you that there are 27 stories about children who either do not know about their moms or lost their mothers in a tragic way, what do you think I might be referring to? What do you what do you think that I could be getting at with that question? I think I know where you're going here, um, but it, it sounds pretty bad. It sounds pretty bad, right? Okay, listen, I found this article on the online magazine Mental Floss. It's by Jennifer Wood, and the title of the article is 27 Motherless Disney Characters. Okay, this is from 2014. All right, just gear up. I'm not going to go through all 27 motherless Disney characters, but I do want to mention a few. First of all, Snow White, 1937, that is the year that film came out. The whereabouts of her mother are unknown. Belle in Beauty and the Beast, 1991, her mom is dead. Pinocchio, that came out in 1940, mom is unknown. Bambi, 1942, mom was killed by a hunter. Bambi's mom was killed by a hunter. The Fox and the Hound, 1981, Todd's mother was also killed by a hunter. Cinderella, 1950. Evil stepmother, biological mother unknown. (laughs) Peter Pan, 1953. Peter Pan is the quintessential orphan, so his parents are nowhere to be found. Mowgli in the Jungle Book. That came out in 1967. Mowgli, of course, was an orphan. We don't know what happened to his parents, so he was raised by a pack of wolves. His wolf mother is named... Raksha, and in the 1998 live-action movie Jungle Book, Mowgli's story, his mother is killed by Shere Khan, all mm-hmm. right? Ariel and the Little Mermaid, Queen Athena was killed uh, by a pirate ship as she attempted to recover a treasure box, so Ariel is also has lost her mom tragically. That's crazy. Yep. Oh, I'm not done. Jasmine and Aladdin are both orphans. Their mothers or, or fathers are nowhere to be found. Pocahontas, 1995, we're told that Pocahontas' mother is dead. Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 1996. Uh, Quasimodo's mother was murdered by the evil judge Frollo. Tarzan, 1999, Tarzan's parents met an untimely demise 
at the teeth of a leopardess known as Saber. Yikes. Emperor Cusco in the Emperor's New Groove. Love that movie, oh, 2000. Oh, I should have said that one earlier. I, I know. love Isn't that, that movie. that great one? Yeah. Cusco's about that one. dad disappeared while at sea, all right, and his mom is never mentioned, so he's basically an orphan. Nemo, Finding Nemo, 2003. Nemo's mom, Coral, was eaten by a barracuda. <laughs> <laughs> These are pretty, like, um, ghastly ways to meet your D- end. Disney's thinking of this. I'm just the messenger. And finally, Frozen, all right, the movie that took over Every young girl's heart for about five straight years. Parents, there's going to be a support group for those of us who lived through the Frozen era because <laughs> we've heard the soundtrack 80 million times. Anna and Elsa, both of their their parents were killed in a shipwreck. That's quite a lineup. So I just named a lot of Disney films where the parents are either killed or missing and the child is either missing specifically their mom, or they are an orphan. It's almost all of them, if you think about it. Yeah, almost all of them. Like Tangled, her parents, you know, she was taken from her parents, so her real yep. parents aren't so really, she's they don't really figure yep, in. Yep. Even in Moana, they focus more on her grandmother, who dies in the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's easier, or it's harder to think of a character yeah. that has yeah. both parents. And so when you watch a movie like The Incredibles, which is about a family, it actually is the exception that proves the rule because mm-hmm. because you're thinking to yourself, no Disney movie does this. The right. parents are never around. So how do we explain this? Well, let me go on the record and say, I don't think that Disney is this sick company that just loves knocking off parents, okay? No. I don't think that's what's behind it. Uh, there is some interesting psychologizing that people have done on Walt Disney himself, and specifically the way his mother died, as an explanation. But other people have pointed out that a lot of the Disney films that have um, orphans, you know, motherless figures, came out before his parents, uh, specifically his mom, died. So that doesn't explain it alone. Here's my theory, bets as to why Disney is constantly killing parents or having parents never on the scene in their movies. First, I'd say this. Parents represent love and security. We all know that. Uh, So when you remove parents from the scene, you've created this very clear tension in a film, and we all know that a story needs a tension. It needs a conflict in order to have a story that leads to a resolution. So that's, I will certainly say that's part of it. But let me add this, and I don't know how often this gets talked about. Parents also represent authority. If you think about it, in every kid's life, the main authority in that kid's life is their parents. So by removing parents from the scene, Disney creates an environment in their movies where their characters are free to reach their inner potential because the main authority figures in their lives are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Bets, do you see this at all in the Disney films? Definitely. You can see it in so many different films. Either the parents are not there or the um, characters choose to just do what they want instead of listen to the parents. Yeah, they choose to do what they want. And something that we were talking about as we were preparing for this episode is that in many Disney movies, the parents are always wrong and the kids are always right. And there are never any consequences for the decisions that the kids make. It's it's not like real life where uh, if you're 11 years old, you may make a dumb decision. Well, let's just look at Little Mermaid for a minute because, you know, Ariel goes up to the surface of the water and she sees 
the humans and she wants to interact with them more. And her dad, King Triton, I think, mm-hmm. tells her, no way. I want you down here. You are forbidden to go to the surface. But she says, it's a whole new world. But she's like, dad, you're <laughs> holding me back. Yeah. So, um, so she goes and she, you know, she makes a deal with Ursula. What could go wrong with that? Yeah. So, you know, giving your voice to a sea witch, that's yep. never done anything bad for anybody. We don't recommend you make deals with sea witches. <laughs> so the funny thing is, though, in the end, it all comes out right. It King Triton was proved to be a fuddy-duddy who yep. didn't know anything. Yep. And Everybody Ariel gets her voice end. back and it's a happy ending. Yep. So, But that's kind of characteristic of a lot of the Disney movies. The, the, the characters are told, you know, don't do this or that. And then they generally do, you know, what they are going to do because the theme is usually follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. But then it's true that you, what you don't see is a character who ever makes a bad decision, really. That's right. And, and, and you almost never see the consequences of a bad decision, which can be very bad. Right. So the first theme that we want to highlight that is often found in Disney films is that authority figures prevent you from reaching your potential you. or can prevent you, may prevent you from reaching your full potential. And nothing in life is more important than reaching your potential or your dreams. Ergo, authority figures are often portrayed in a bad way. Yes. They're good as long as they're helping the characters reach their dreams. That's right. But they're not good if they are a stumbling block to reaching their dreams. And Bets, we thought about this. We had a friend um, that we knew earlier in life in our younger married days and, and, and the friend told us a story that I have never forgotten. This friend said to us, I have a family member who is currently in prison, and, I, and, and uh, I'm going to visit this family member. And, and, and they said, look, this family member is a young man, and he's a good guy, and he made a terrible mistake. And I remember saying, well, what was the mistake that he made? Why is he in jail? And the person said, well, uh, this, this young man decided he was going to rob a bank. And it's like, oh, wow, who, who thinks that? And they said, and actually the reason this guy decided to rob a bank, or one of the main reasons is he saw the movie Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> We're not, I'm, we are not making this up. <clears throat> he saw the movie Ocean's Eleven, and he's like, oh, wow, people who steal are cool. It's easy. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. You got a great looking suit on. Sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll look like Brad Pitt or something. So literally this young guy tries to rob a bank, um, apparently he fired a firearm around some police officers, which really racketed up the charges. And now the guy's in prison for a really long time. And, and our friend is explaining the story really, in many ways, highlighting the innocence of this young man making this terrible life decision. And that's the kind of thing, you know, let's face it, we do do dumb things when we're younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully nothing like that. But you don't see the consequences of decisions that you make when you're younger in Disney movies, do you? Right. We're not saying parents always make the right calls about their kids. Nope, we don't. Um, But it's kind of a disturbing trend that in the Disney world, the parents are always the ones trying to shut down the fun and the dreams and everything. Um, And yeah, you just don't ever see a young person making a bad decision that they were warned against. That's right. Now, to wrap up this first episode here, Many of the uh, defenders or, or people who really like the standard Disney plot, I've read this online, they'll say, look, you're misreading Disney movies. Disney movies are all about, uh, they're in the genre that we would call coming-of-age movies. So uh, 
the characters need the freedom to sort of mature and grow into the adults uh, that they they need to be. You've got a limited time in a movie to tell that story. So some examples of coming-of-age movies that aren't animated movies would be like Dirty Dancing. Great movie. Betsy, I've had the time of my life with you (laughs) since the day we got married. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Dirty Dancing, Clueless. Remember Clueless? Oh, yeah. Juno. Love uh, that one. For those a little older in our listening audience, The Graduate, huge movie, huge movie. American Beauty is also considered a coming-of-age movie. So some people would say, look, a Disney movie is a coming-of-age film. You you guys are being too hard on it. But I don't think that really fully explains or justifies Disney's typical story narrative. And one I, one idea I want to say is, just because you have a coming-of-age film doesn't mean you have to portray maturity and growth as something that you do independent of authority figures. Right. Right? I mean, I think about our kids. At some point, our kids are going to start to you know, assert their own independence, become the people they're going to be. But it's not like I want them to do that on their own without other smart, wise adults who've lived a lot more of life than they have That's right. to guide them in That's that. That's right. So, Maturity means yeah. knowing the right people to listen to. It doesn't mean not Amen. listening to anyone. Great definition. Yes. So Disney, in many ways, I we think is saying coming of age is only listening to that inner voice inside of you. That's right. Right? It's, it's not listening to anybody else. So Disney often says that authority figures prevent you from reaching your potential. We've got more to talk about in episode two. But Bets, as we close this first episode, what have you been reading and also take over the segment, I'm Just Saying. Well, I've been reading a great book. It's called Growing Up Social. It's by Gary Chapman and Arlene Pelican. The subtitle is Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. I cannot speak highly enough of this book. Mm. I'm about uh, a third of the way through, and it is absolutely fantastic. gives all kinds of information about technology and also different strategies to help um, shepherd your kids about how to use technology. It's also just really helpful about different ideas in parenting, and it is fantastic. So I would recommend that to everybody. I think it came out in 2014. So four years later, um, our need for this book is probably even a little more as Mm. screens continue to saturate our world. So Mm. it's a great book. Um, Also, in terms of just being honest, we are recording this episode in the fall. And, you know, here in Columbia, I'm, it's not really the fall weather that I grew up with. I grew up in Illinois, and fall meant it was getting cooler. <laughs> That's not happening in Columbia yet. Maybe it will. But I just want to give a shout-out to all the pumpkins everywhere. I just I love this time of year. Um, yeah, I was at Starbucks earlier today. The pumpkin spice latte mm. just gives me those warm, cozy feelings, even though I'm still sweating everywhere in Columbia. Uh, so maybe one of these days we'll be able to curl up in front of the fireplace with uh, some hot chocolate. That'd be great. Yeah, maybe it'll get down to 72 degrees or something. Yeah, yeah. we'll look forward to that. Pumpkin-flavored everything. I love pumpkin-flavored. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Please tune in to episode two of Disney Under the Spotlight. We want to hear from you. What do you think about this topic? What are your comments about Disney? Email us, intersect at anyprez.com. As always, thank you for listening. Bye, guys.